Praise the Lord. Let's have now our first reading. So you have your Bibles. Can I invite you to turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 2. 2 Samuel chapter 2, and I read from verse 1 to verse 11. 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1. Now after this, David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. David said, To which shall I go up? And he said, To Hebron. So David went up there, and his two wives also, Ahimnoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David brought up his men who were with him, everyone with his household, and they lived in the towns of Hebron. And the men of Judah came, and they anointed David king over the house of Judah. Now when, David told, now when they told David, it was the man of Jabesh Gilead who buried Saul. David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh Gilead and said to them, May you be blessed by the Lord because you showed this loyalty to Saul, your Lord, and buried him. Now may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you, and I will go and do good to you because you have done this thing. Now therefore, let your hands be strong and be valiant, for Saul, your Lord, is dead, and the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. Verse 8, But Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ish-bosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanim. And he made him king over Gilead, and the Asherites, and Jezreel, and Ephraim, and Benjamin, and all Israel. Ish-bosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel. And he reigned two years. But the house of Judah followed David. And the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Shall we now stand as we have the gospel reading? <coughs> the gospel reading for this evening is found on the fifth chapter according to the gospel of St. Matthew, reading at the 38th verse. Glory to Christ our Savior. Matthew's gospel, chapter 5, reading from verse 38. To the end of the chapter. <clears throat> and Jesus says these words, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile with him, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Verse 43, But you have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? And not even the tax collectors doing that. And if you greet only your brothers who are you doing more than others, do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the gospel of Christ. Praise to Christ our Lord. Shall we bow our heads in prayer? <coughs> 
So gracious and heavenly Father, we once again come into your presence. We pray, Lord, that you speak to us and that, Lord, your words will continue to minister to each and every one of us present here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, will you please be seated? You know, as we begin the new book in 2 Samuel, it appears now that David would finally be enthroned as God's anointed king of Israel. The current ruler, Saul, if you were to look back in 1 Samuel 31, he was struck down by the Philistines' archer in battle, and he subsequently passed away. And sadly, so too was his son, Jonathan, David's best friend. After many years in the wilderness, <coughs> the path to the throne appears to be now wide open for David. Or is it? You see, though the Bible records that Saul's other sons were also struck down in battle, there was yet another in the name of Ish-bosheth. And according to verse 8 of our passage that was read this evening in 2 Samuel chapter 2, we are told that Abner, the commander of chief of Saul's army, took this last remaining priest and declared him as king over Israel, which consists of the other 11 tribes. And at the same time, it was also revealed that David was coronated as king of Judah, as mentioned in verses 10 and 11. So it seems that it will be another long, seven long years before David will be recognized as king over all of the nation. Though he was anointed to be king of God's chosen people way back in 1 Samuel chapter 16, you see, you find that David, like all of us, we still have to wait on the Lord's timing. Yes, David could have, you know, immediately secured the throne through his military conquest. As we all know, his fighting abilities and the loyalty of his men. But we find that David would rather wait patiently for the right moment to be chosen by the consent of the people. And you find that throughout this waiting, there's this series of rivalry, reconciliation, and revenge. And the following two chapters in our sermon today is all about these three events. And to be precise, we can see it this way. What do you do when there is a rivalry in your midst? Do you seek reconciliation or do you seek revenge? And this is what we're going to look at today. And the characters involved are the three characters of David, Abner, and Joab, who is the commander of David's army. And so we begin with the rivalry. <laughs> Looking through the pages of the Bible, you find that there are many recorded episodes of rivalries. And I believe many, some of you, you can rattle off some of these rivalries. For instance, you may say, <coughs> the Bible does tell us of the rivalry between Cain and Abel. There's the rivalry between Esau and Jacob. We know of Moses also having rivalry with his two siblings. And then we also have David and Saul. And now we can add to this list Abner and Joab. Now, how did this rivalry between these two men start? Well, it all began, as the passage indicated, when Ish-bosheth succeeded his father to the throne. But in reality, we know that he was merely a puppet leader, for Abner was the one that's really willed the real power. 
And clearly we see that Abner was considered to be a crafty man we reckon with. As I mentioned earlier, he was the commander in Saul's army. He was a seasoned and an experienced warrior, someone who has engaged in numerous battles. And what's further interesting of note was that Abner, in case you all didn't realize this, that Abner also <coughs> happened to be the cousin of Saul. And you can read this in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verses 50 to 51. And so you see, <coughs> coming from the same tribe of Benjamin, and because he was related to Saul, it was through this personal influence over the leaders that he managed to persuade the elders <coughs> to make Ishbosheth king. So without a doubt, Abner posed a natural rival <coughs> to Joab. However, what really initiated this rivalry was due to the following process from verses 12 to verse 32 of 2 Samuel chapter 2. And to summarize, we are told <coughs> that there was a civil war that broke out between the two parties. Because as you know, a nation cannot be ruled by two kings. And so on one hand, we are told that Ishbosheth was anointed king. On the other hand, David was anointed king. And so there was without a doubt, a civil war that was going on. <clears throat> and so it was decided that, two, that the, two, the two parties decided that 12 young men from each side, they would, they would choose 12 young men and they would compete with one another to determine who will be the winner. But if you read the passage, it continues to tell us that as the duel went on, it was found that both of the 12 men from each tribe were of equal match. So much so that they both, that, you know, all 12 of them, all 24 of them died by killing one another. But eventually, this led to a head-on clash with Abner and his men soundly beaten, and so he had to escape and took flight. But the rivalry between these group, two groups intensified when we are told that Joab and his brothers, Abishah and Ashahel, gave chase <coughs> to the retreating Abner. So let's pick up the story now in verses 18 to 23. Once again, <coughs> refer to your Bibles in 2 Samuel chapter 2, and let's look at verses 18 onwards. And the Word of God says that the three sons of Zeruiah were there, Joab, Abishah, and Ashahel. Now, Ashahel was as swift of foot as a wild gazelle. And Ashahel pursued Abner. And as he went, he turned neither to the right hand nor to the left from following Abner. Then Abner looked behind and said, Is it you, Ash Ashahel? And he answered, It is I. Abner said to him, Turn aside to your right hand or to your left and seize one of the young men and take his poise. But Ashahel would not turn aside from following him. Verse 22, And Abner said again to Ashahel, Turn aside from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? How then could I lift my face to your brother Joab? Verse 23. <clears throat> but he refused to turn aside. Therefore, Abner struck him in the stomach with the butt of his spear, so that the spear came out at his back. And he fell there and died where he was. And all who came to the place where Asahel had fallen and died stood still. So here again, we, if you recall, as I mentioned, there was the civil war. They were fighting with one another. 
Abner was losing. He was running away. And so Joab and his brothers gave chase. And it so happened that we are told that Asahel, swift as a wild gazelle man, he was very fast. He outran his brothers and was about to catch up with Joab. I'm sorry, about to catch up with Abner. But Abner, not wanting to confront him, asked Asahel to turn away. But this young man, probably being young and rash, you know, he wanted to make a name for himself. We don't know, but perhaps that was what he wanted to do. He refused to listen to Abner. <coughs> and so as a result of this, we are told in verse 23 that Abner struck him in the stomach with the butt of his spear so that the spear came out at his back. Very gross. Simply put, Abner killed Asahel. And eventually, when his brothers came and found what Asahel was, <coughs> naturally, Joab was upset. Naturally, Joab's hatred for Abner grew. And here we find Joab plotting revenge against his brother's murderer. But before this could happen, <coughs> we have now this next episode of reconciliation between David and Abner. And for this, we need to briefly look at 2 Samuel chapter 3. And we read that the source of this reconciliation between these two men was really recorded in verse 6 of chapter 3, where significantly it was written that Abner was making himself strong in the house of Saul. In other words, Abner was using his position to strengthen his own authority and status. And then later on, you read in verse 7 that it was told that Ishboseth, suspecting that Abner was sleeping with his father's concubine named Rizpah, the wily old warrior decided it was time to change sides. Now, it's important for us to note that we aren't told that Abner actually did slap with Rizpah, though verse 7 seems to imply this. And if Abner really did this, then he had committed a very, very serious offense. Why? You see, in those days, the woman, the concubine, or everything that belongs to the deceased king will automatically belong to his successor. And in this case, it belongs to Ishbosheth. That Rizpah, the concubine, belongs to Ishbosheth. Therefore, if any man was willing to lie with any of those women, that person was in fact trying to lay claim to the kingdom and is guilty of treason. And so this granted that this weak Ishbosheth, you know, he dared to challenge and accuse him. Abner sent messengers to David for truth. He decided to jump ship. He decided to leave Ishbosheth and join David. And as David, being a man of peace, wanting to unite the nation as quickly as possible, not wanting to have any more bloodshed, what did David do? He readily agreed to Abner's proposal for peace. But this did not please Joab at all. Because for Joab, he saw this as an op excellent opportunity to avenge his brother. And when David did nothing, he was upset because his chance was lost. In fact, you read in verse 24, he reproached the king by saying this. He told David, 
What have you done? Behold, Abner came to you. Why is it that you have sent him away so that he is gone? And Joab even went as far as to believe that the real purpose of Abner's visit was to deceive and to spy on David. But not satisfied, <laughs> we are told now that Joab took matters in his own hands in wanting to seek revenge for his brother. And in verse 26, we are told that on the pretext of wanting to meet Abner in Hebron, Joab plunged his sword into the stomach of Abner and Abner was immediately pronounced dead. So there you have it, the rivalry. Do we seek reconciliation or do we seek revenge? You see, the death of Abner was not only a revenge over the death of Asahel, we find that the, re the death of Abner also broke the alliance between David and his commander of his army. You see, when news broke out regarding of Abner's death reached David's ear, notice what the king did. In verse 28, he disassociated himself openly from the deed. He says, I and my kingdom are forever guiltless before the Lord for the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. And then he called a curse on the assassin, in verse 29. Made it fall upon the head of Joab and upon all his father's house. And may the house of Joab never be without one who has a discharge or who is leprous or who holds a spindle or who falls by the sword or who lacks bread. And then next we are told that David declared a period of fasting in verse 35 and mourning and he forced Joab and all his men to publicly take part in it. And finally, the king even took time to compose a lament for Abner. But you know, perhaps the one thing that was irreparable about this act of revenge was that it left a great gap. You see, David not only lost Abner as an ally, but for his action, he found himself distancing away from his general from that very day onwards. At the same time, it is fundamental for us to consider what David ought to have done, which he didn't do. We know what he did, <coughs> yeah? As I already mentioned, he disassociated himself, he called upon a curse, but all these things are not really important. What he should have really done is the more important thing. What he should have done? He should have been more firm. We find that when David realized what his general had done, he was very indecisive in dealing with Joab. Why is this so? Well, again, you may come as a surprise that the answer is because, like Saul and Abner, David happened to be related to Joab. You see, in 1 Corinthians, 1 Chronicles, chapter 2, verse 16, this passage records that Joab's mother, Zeruah, was the sister of David. So that makes Joab David's nephew. And so you can understand maybe why David didn't want to be so harsh on Joab. Kakinang, same person, same family members. And the moment you do that, you find, you know, it doesn't solve any matter. So instead of disciplining his general, all David did was to pronounce a colorful curse and he left the problem unsolved. 
Asahel's death was maybe the result of the casualty of war, but Edna's death was pure murder. And yet, David let Joab go away unpunished. So what can we take home from today's lesson? I just want to quickly share with you two points. Firstly is this. When wrongs are not being corrected, or when wrongs are not being disciplined, or when we tend to show favoritism at the expense of justice, you find that there will be negative effects. We see this in the case of Jacob and Esau where the mother tend to favor one over the other. We also see this in the case of Joseph and his brothers, where the father tend to show favoritism only to Joseph. And in David's situation, his failure to administer the correct and proper action gave the signal to others that he condoned the assassination. And you find that not surprisingly, our story ends in chapter 3, where two men named Rechab and Bana brought the head of Ishbosheth to David. They, these two men themselves, assassinated Ishbosheth. So the first lesson that we learn here is this when there's ever there's a wrong, we must not avoid it. We must be willing to correct the situation. Secondly, we learn from the lesson here that seeking revenge will only rear its ugly head. And when that happens, you find that there will be no satisfaction. Why? Because the cycle will repeat itself again and again and again. I learned this from young watching those Chinese Kung Fu movies. But some of you, you would, you know, agree and see this with me, yeah? Bao Chou, you know, this person killed my master, I, I take revenge, I kill your master, and it's, it's, it's never ending. So you find that revenge will not satisfy. It will only lead to more heartache. The way then to break this cycle is to seek out reconciliation. Difficult as it may be, but that's the way to break the cycle. And that's what Jesus teaches us, isn't it? If you heard the gospel that was read to us, Jesus says that in the midst of retaliation, He says not an eye for an eye, not a tooth for a tooth. He says that when there's problem and there's a rivalry, we are to love our enemies. And friends, we are coming to this period of Resurrection Sunday, Good Friday. And it's a good reminder for us that that's what Jesus did. He demonstrated this. He demonstrated that He loved us despite the rivalry that we have with Him. He demonstrated this love by dying on the cross so that He can bring all of us back into the fold of the Father. And because Jesus did this, it is our responsibility as Christians that when we face issues like this, we do not seek revenge, but we seek reconciliation. You see, life is short. Don't continue living in rivalry or conflict with one another. It's sad when I hear Christians, you know, 
still not friends with one another. And, and not to mention the church. I was in one church. It's kind of very ridiculous that, you know, they are staff, by the way, you know, staff, Christian staff, you know. Yet, they are in conflict with one another for so many years. I mean, how can you claim to be Christians? How can you be claim to, to, to work for Christ? And yet, you're in conflict with one another. And so, my prayer is that all of us here in all things, that whenever we face a conflict or rivalry, we don't seek revenge. Life is short. Don't continue living in this conflict with one another. Don't live in regret for not forgiving the person when the person eventually passed on. Because by then, it will be too late. So whenever there's a rivalry, the lesson for us here, as we have looked in this passage, is not to cry for revenge, but rather, we are to practice reconciliation. And in the season of Lent, it is perhaps the right timing for us to do so. Shall we bow our heads as we turn to the Lord in prayer? <clears throat> and so, Father, in this season of Lent, yeah, as we have read in the passage of how David is a man of peace, he wanted to reconcile with Abner, Father, may we have the same attitude that even though people may hurt us, people may disappoint us, people may cause us pain and hurt, let us turn our eyes to the cross to see that, Father, you show us the way and that because we receive your love, we must be conduit of that grace. We must show this grace and love to others as well. So, Father, for those of us here who may be struggling in the areas perhaps we may have offended someone or someone may have offended us and we are struggling to let go of this, let us be reminded that revenge will not satisfy us. The word of the Lord says, vengeance is mine. So let us, Lord, whatever situation we are in, learn to just surrender it to you. Thank you, Lord.